You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Good morning, Redemption City Church. How's everyone doing? Great. Oh, man, we're getting really good at that. How are we doing? Good. If it's your first time here, we're really excited that you've come to share this morning with us at Redemption City. And I'm hoping that someone who's been regularly attending has made you feel welcome. And if you've been hanging out with us over the, what, about two months now, I hope that you really are growing deeper in your relationship with Jesus. And so if you don't know, we're in a nine part series called the DNA series. It's essentially Redemption City Church, our church, establishing its values and its characteristics that we want to be known for and ultimately marked by. And so if you look on the screen, we started off on June 9th with a celebration service where we came together for the first service. Like you only get to do that one time, right? Having your first service. And it was, we talked about what does it mean to be marked by the gospel, right? And that's essentially us moving from our story into God's story. It's a redemption story. It's a beautiful story. And then we looked at on the next week, what does it mean to be marked by grace? And then we went through and we looked at being marked by generosity. And then we had a a little adversity. And so we were not able to um, come together um, for service here. Um, we had some issues going on with our um, the lease here for the Arbory. And so we went to Pastor Jack's house for pancakes, prayers, and, and a pathway conversation. We leaned in, we prayed, and we asked that God might provide. And then within seven days, God provided, and we got an email from the Arbory's legal team, and we were able to come back and extend, not just come back, extend our lease here so we could um, be here for the foreseeable future. So we celebrated that. Then we came in on July 7th and we talked about what does it mean to be marked by gathering? Like what does the Bible say and what is God's heart for us as we come together as a church family? And then what does it mean after we come together and we are reminded, encouraged to go out into the community, to be marked by going? And so if you notice, those are the five G's. And then last week, we started the second half of this series where we talked about biblical manhood and womanhood. And we're going to be finishing that up today. And then next week, we're going to look at what does it mean to have unity within the family unit with biblical manhood and biblical womanhood as the foundation of the family. And then finally, we're going to celebrate on August 11th with covenant family. And so what does it mean for us to become a covenant family? We're going to talk about church membership and some really, really cool exciting things. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you're going to open them to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to be reading through this passage in just a little bit. So um, if you don't have your own Bible, we do have Bibles to the left of you in the windowsill. They're turquoise. And so we just ask that if you use one, that you would just put it back where you got it at the end of service. And so because we are a brand new church, I don't know if you've ever been a part this early of a church plant, we have so much teaching to do. And so the reason why we use the English Standard Version is that me and Jack, as pastors and elders of this church, believe that the ESV is the best word-for-word translation of the original text that's also understandable for the everyday reader. Okay, And so there's a lot of good translations out there, but we really do believe that this is a great translation for us to grow as a faith family. And so if you are planning on Redemption City Church being your home church, you may want to begin to explore what that looks like for your home disciple 
relationship. And so, man, I just want to lay a proper foundation as we um, talk again on the second half about things that are going to run really close to some people's hearts. And let me just be honest with you, just like last week, we will again be diving into some things that are going to run really close to some people's pains and some people's wounds. And so I just want to share a couple things as we kind of lay that foundation. It's on the screen for you. It says, we believe the God of the Bible is true and that he is the only real God and that he has created everything that exists, including certain systems and certain institutions like the family institution, like the marriage institution, like the institution of church. He's created all these different institutions, all these types of systems, and he's done it primarily for two reasons. The first one is for the glory of his name. Like if you don't take anything else away from this series, seriously, I want you to know the deepest part of your soul, that all that you are, all that you will become, all that you see out there created around you, these beautiful trees, this beautiful park where our kids are at, it's all for the name of Jesus. It's to glorify his name. Um, I'm not the point. You're not the point. God is the point. And that is good news. And so the second reason is for the joy of his people right? For the joy of his people. Like God's ways are always infinitely, supremely better than our ways. And the word of God, here's the thing, the word of God always lays out what's best for us and what will lead us into ultimate joy. And so just like last week, I just want to have some disclosures. We're going to be talking about some difficult things that may create some difficult moments depending on how you've been raised or things that have happened in your life. And you may think um, in, during this service that like, did Pastor Brandon really just say what I think he said? Right. We talked about that last week. Like, does he know how old and antiquated that sounds? Does he know how chauvinistic that sounds? Like, does he understand we're in Oregon, one of the most liberal states in the country? Man, I want you to know, just like last week, you're still not going to get every single answer that you're looking for. But my hope is that today goes a long way to answering some fundamental questions that you may have. And so, and this happened last week. I have some praise reports. Um, we had an individual who was here yesterday share a praise report that last week's sermon literally changed that person's life. Like the, the, the testimony was there were wounds, deep wounds that had been carried for years. And she felt God for the first time beginning to heal those things. One more. We had another praise report, testimony of a couple who shared with me in confidentiality that they, through this service, were able to break through for the first time a huge divide, a chasm that had been occurring for years within their relationship. And they are excited about what God is doing. And so just like last week, listen, I just want to be faithful to the word of God, right? I want to be faithful in how I explain it. I want you to be faithful in how you're hearing it. And we want to submit our lives to the word of God. So just hang in there as we get ready to dive in. And as soon as you hear the first thing that seemingly sounds a little bit offensive, like don't ignore the rest, right? God's going to do a great work if you stay leaning in. All right. So here we go. Last week, we talked about the importance of slowing down in the book of Genesis, right? So it's so funny when you go to church and you hear a pastor say, turn to the book of Genesis, right? And then you go, 
Oh no, like don't do that. These, these, these passages that we correlate to children's stories, like that's for the children's ministry. No, there is beautiful, supreme, glorious mysteries in Genesis 1. And we saw that, right? We literally stayed in Genesis 1 and 2 and people were just interacting with all that God has to say in there. And so we learned that God's divine for manhood and womanhood is totally different, but they're equal in importance. And then we, we talked about this, remember this, men? That it is never, ever, ever okay to belittle women in any situation. And women, we talked about it's never, ever okay to belittle man. Because when we do that, we belittle the God of the universe, right? And then, men, we, we read this verse. It was a sobering reality. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, Husbands, if you do not honor your wives as the weaker vessel, here it is, lean in with me, God will not listen to your prayers. That is significant. And we talked about that in a great length. So we talked about the real pursuit that everyone has in life, above all things, is for peace and joy and validation. And that sometimes this power struggle we have in authority in our relationships, we're fighting the wrong battle because when we are struggling with authority, we're really struggling with some version of peace that we're looking for, some, some version of happiness that we're looking for, and some sense of validation that we're looking for. And so we talked about the importance of biblical manhood and womanhood and what that means for the gospel message. There is no gospel message outside of understanding the relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so the real question is, how does all of what we're talking about affect us passing the gospel to the next generation? Like that's the overall question we're really exploring. How do we pass on our faith in God and how do we pass the knowledge of God to our children, right? What does that look like? What does the Bible have to say about that? How do we, how do, we do that? How do we raise our children to be in the faith? Because listen, it doesn't really matter what kids programs that Redemption City puts on or any church. It doesn't matter what specific curriculum that you pick when you go to the Christian bookstore. If we are not biblical men with biblical women, with biblical singles, in biblical churches, in biblical homes, we're missing the whole point. Does that make sense? And so what is God calling us to do in training our boys? And what is God calling us to do in training our little girls? Is that training the same or is it different? Is there overlap or is there not? John Piper had this to say, he's a pastor in Minnesota, and I, I want you to look at that on the screen. It says, the tendency today is to stress the equality of men and women by minimizing the unique significance of our maleness or femaleness. But this depreciation of male and female personhood is a great loss. It is a taking, I mean, it is taking a tremendous toll on generations of young men and women who do not know what it means to be a man or a woman. Confusing the overall meaning of sexual personhood today is an epidemic. The consequence of this confusion is not a free and happy harmony among gender-free persons relating on the basis of abstract competencies. Keep leaning in with me. The consequence, rather, is more divorce, more homosexuality, more sexual abuse, more promiscuity, more social awkwardness, and more emotional distress and suicide that come with the loss of God-given 
identity. And that is why today's topic is so important, folks. Listen, if you're visiting for the first time today, or perhaps you missed last week, a lot of what we're going to be talking about, I'm going to be honest with you, is not going to make sense in the fullest way it can without the context of what we explored in detail for over an hour and like seven minutes last week. We looked intently at Genesis 1 and 2 and we broke that down. And so if you missed last week, I want to lovingly encourage you to lean in, go online, and to steward some time to go through that because that's going to allow you to interact with all that I believe God has for you. So, But for now, I want to do the best I can. I'm trying to set this stage. So we're going to put on the screen right now the three main truths we talked about from last week. But I want, to, I want to remind you, this is not going to be able to explain the depths of what we talked about. And so we talked about truth number one. God created man and woman with equal dignity and worth, right? Like man and woman, both important, both equal in dignity, both equal in value, both important. We broke that down. And then we talked about here, here's, here's the key. Here's the, here's the crux of the whole thing, that they're equal in the image of God. Are you kidding me? In, equal in the image of God. We looked at that in the text, right? And so then we talked about like, what is grace and these big words like salvation and justification and image of God. If we don't have a clear understanding of image of God, we are robbing ourselves of understanding all that God is saying. And so what does it mean to be in the image of God? It means that we resemble God, right? And so we talked about how we resemble him in our mannerisms and our capacity to love and all these things, right? It was, it was really good. We can't do that. We talked about we represent God, Wow, we have a responsibility. The things that we do, affect, it affects God, right? That's why God has wrath, or he's angry, or he's jealous, or God's happy. We affect God. Wow. We have the capacity to relate to God, right? In the different things that we looked at. And then we talked about we have a personal responsibility before God, right? Truth number two. God created man and woman with different roles. Whoa, we broke that down, right? That is where I saw literal healing going on, and we broke down the different roles of man and woman. Um, and so here's a little snapshot. By the design of God, not man, not Brandon, not Redemption City, not United States, not our founding forefathers, by the design of God, man created was created to be the head. But what does that mean? It's abused all the time, right? Or it's not activate it. And so we looked at what that means. And then by the design of God, woman was created to be the helper, but that's abused, right? We have a lot of, what does that really mean? And so we, we looked at that. Um, truth number three, God created man and woman as a reflection of the Trinity, right? This is the whole point. If you don't have an, I was having a beautiful conversation with my wife and she's like, babe, that is what hit me right there. Understanding what Christ was doing in his relationship with God has really impacted me and how I'm thinking through my adjustments even in our own marriage. And so we all, nobody's exempt, not even my home. We were all on a journey of growing. And so um, this is now where we're going to turn our attention to biblical manhood and womanhood again. All we're doing is now going to Genesis chapter 3, folks. And it is not just for the children. It is for us. And so let's pay attention now to the effects. Now we're going to talk about the effects of sin on both man and woman in different ways. Let's go and let's pray. Mm. Abba Father, we confess that we live in a generation of utter confusion and distortion when it comes to your design for us as men and women of faith. 
Lord, we are plagued by our own sin and by the sins of others in ways that, God, we can't even see this whole picture anymore of manhood and womanhood clearly. We're acknowledging that. Some of our wounds are so deep and our concerns are so wide. So we're confessing that we have a need for you today by your spirit and through your word to bring clarity to our minds and bring peace to our hearts this morning. Help us to submit, Lord Jesus, as men and women joyfully to what you've prescribed for our joy. There is no better way for us to live but to be in the safe hands of the living God. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Let's read Genesis chapter 3 on the screen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, 
and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen. This is the word of God. And for some of us, this was very intentional. For some of us, that's the longest we've read the Bible in a while. And I want us to have the whole text from the beginning of Genesis 3.1 all the way to the end because every single line is critically and utterly important. And I want to show you a couple things as we go through this. We're going to be looking at how does sin affect man uniquely different than woman, right? You're going to see that. We're going to, we're going to show you that. Then I want to show you how sin expresses itself uniquely different in man then it shows itself in woman. And then we're going to look at the results of sin. What are the results of sin entering the world and how it's very, very different of how it affects man and woman. So we're going to start with manhood right now. And I want you to see a passive, and I want you to adopt this language, okay? You're going to see a passive and an aggressive picture of sin that is occurring. And so the first passive sin, the very first sin was a passive sin that entered in um, through Man's cowardly abandonment of his responsibilities, okay? Man's cowardly abandonment of his responsibilities. Now, you may be thinking, Adam didn't do anything wrong in the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, right? Like, Eve is the one that was interacting with the serpent, saying Eve is the one that took the fruit and ate, and she was the one that even gave it to Adam. And here's the thing, that's the point. Adam didn't do anything Remember, this is super important. If you remember the order in Genesis, order and, and, and the, um, the order of how things are being chronicled is very important. Woman was not even created when God gave this command to Adam. Are you tracking with me? She never heard the command from the Lord. She was not even in existence. This was utterly and totally Adam's responsibility to lead his wife. But instead, he stood passively by. Look at this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty, this is how it starts off, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, notice that Satan is not coming to the man as the lead and the head and asking him anything. He's coming to the woman and he's basically saying, why don't you lead the way? Why don't you do that? You should lead the way. You should make this decision. Now, what's his craftiness? I underlined that for, 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 for a reason. There, there's a twofold craftiness that's going on. Okay, the first is by tempting the woman to usurp man's authority. Let's break this down, okay? 
Woman was not created, man was. God gives the command and the directive to Adam to not eat of this tree. We have all these different events that happened before Eve is created. We looked at that last week, right? Then Eve is created. Who gave the instruction? Who gave the instruction to, to Eve for her to know that? Adam. Adam had shared with his woman, with his because I'm saying woman, wife is going to be introduced shortly. Adam introduces this to his woman and he says, hey, this is what I've been told. This is what you need to know. And Satan is tempting her to usurp his authority. That's the first level of craftiness. Okay, this is super important. Number two, he's tempting the man towards passive passivity in leadership. Adam knows what God said. He heard it directly from God. He directly gave that instruction to Eve, right? Or woman. She hasn't been named yet. He gave it to woman. Now woman is engaging with the serpent and Adam is standing by with cowardly abandonment as his wife gets ready to engage in sin. Now look at verse 17. We're just going to slow down to everything we read. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. This was God. This is huge. And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now, I don't know if, I don't know if, you, if you catch this, but before God even deals with Adam's disobedience and Eve's disobedience of actually sinning by eating of the fruit, what is the first thing he says? Like, this is huge. Don't miss this. This is the first act in the creation story of someone standing opposed to God's will. And God does not start with a directive about the sin of eating the fruit. The whole entrance of sin into the world is not in the disobedience of eating of the tree. What does God say first? Because you have listened to the voice of of your wife. Now that has been abused, that text. That means you should never listen to your wife. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, because I commanded you to protect and guard over her because she wasn't created, but I gave you instruction to care for her. And because you have listened to that part of what woman was saying, instead of leading her because you were passive and cowardly and you were being a wimp. Okay. Because you were doing those things, cursed is the ground like this kind of passivity is happening every single day in our husbands men this is happening in our homes it's happening in our fatherhood and it's wrecking havoc on society where so many men are so busy playing video games and um, fixing their houses and worrying about building their 401ks at the cost of discipling and leading their family. It doesn't mean those things aren't important. It doesn't mean you can't have a both and, but there is a primary call that God has given us. But for some of us, the passivity is not where our, the sin nature most expresses itself. Now, here's the thing that I need you to understand. Every single person, because it, this is what the text is showing, has the passive and aggressive nature of sin within them. No one is exempt. Women, you have a passive and aggressive nature of sin that entered into you because of sin. Men, you have a passive and an aggressive nature of sin that has entered into you because of the sin in Genesis chapter 3. But everybody leans to one more than the other. And so as we go through today's sermon, where do you land? You have both, 
but everybody has a disposition or a predisposition to one or the other. Um, find yourself in this. And so maybe you don't find yourself most in that passive example. Here's the next one. There was now an aggressive sin expressed through selfish abuse of Adam's authority. A selfish abuse of man's authority. And this is where women fear, guys. This is where women fear. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, this won't be on the screen. It says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Here we go. But he shall rule over you. Now, in the original Hebrew language, that word rule, otherwise we're missing it. We're just going to read it. We're going to miss the whole thing. Let me translate it for you. And he shall, um, and he shall have oppressive, domineering rulership over you. All right? So this is the entrance into harsh leadership. That is a distortion of God's design. Are you listening to me, man? God did not design us to have harsh, domineering rulership over women. This is an aggressive nature of sin that we want to be attentive to. Like the headship and the leadership that God has called us to is one that is loving and is filled with gentleness and kindness, but it is not passive and it is not cowardly. So we have a passive nature and we have a aggressive nature. Now let's see what the results of sin, what are the results of that? What is the result of having a passive and an aggressive nature of sin entering into man? Look at um, verse 17, or you can um, read with me 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. So this is now that this is the result, Adam. Adam, because of your passive moment of watching watching Eve do what she did, because of your aggressive moment right here, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Wow. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, notice that this was specifically given to man. This is so important, right? Man and woman are created equal, but they're different. Look how God is intentionally showing this is the sin of man. This is the consequence of what's going to happen, right? So God's saying, as a result of what you've done, men, we're going to struggle. And we're going to struggle specifically in our toil. And here's the thing, if you just read it, and we're going to eventually have defeat. We don't win. We do not win this side of heaven. This can change your life. Lean in with me. Men, you're going to struggle as you toil and you will lose. Before sin, God blessed us as men and said, subdue and have dominion over the earth. You tracking with me? We learned that last week. That was a blessing. Hey, dominion meant that the lions, the trees, everything was subdued under our leadership. But because of sin, that same thing that was a blessing has been flipped upside down. And now we're going to toil and we're going to lead to eventual defeat. Now, why is that so important? Men. Because if we continue to toil in our jobs, what God is saying is it's never going to satisfy you. It's never going to be enough. The position is never high enough. Your 401k is never big enough. The amount of money you save for your children will never be satisfying enough. And you will utterly miss the whole point of what God has designed for you to do as the head and leader of your family if you toil after that which you cannot win. 
Can't you see? This is a direct assault from the enemy on the male gender and biblical manhood. And we have to be alert to that. Now let's look at our women. This is the passive nature of sin that entered into woman. And it was expressed through cowardly dismissal of any responsibility. Cowardly dismissal of any responsibility. Now, <clears throat> it's not that woman didn't sin in Genesis 3. Like, we know she did. She, she clearly did. Even though it was man's ultimate responsibility to protect her, she clearly and directly was responsible for her disobedience um, before God as well. Um, you see, the woman's sin um, is a distorted picture, particularly when it comes to submission. It caused women to think at this moment, here's how sin entered as the passive sin. It caused women to think, okay, if, if my husband is the head and God says he's going to deal with him, I'm not accountable for anything. I'm just the helper. This is on, this is on man. This is on him. Now, how does this play out practically? Maybe you're a woman and you're a wife, and you see your husband and your children engaging in things they're not supposed to do, sinning, and you do nothing about it. You stand by passively. Hey, that is not what God has called you to do. That is the passive nature of sin and how it's affected women uniquely. Like, you are not called to idly and passively stand by as your husband and your children engage in the wrong things. That is not what God has called you to. Or even worse, maybe you are a woman and you are experiencing abuse. Utter abuse in your home. Maybe that's physical abuse. Maybe that's emotional and verbal abuse. Listen to me. It's happening and it's happening in our churches. We're saying, good morning, how are you? God is blessed and we're going home and we're being verbally and emotionally abused. And this passive nature of sin it shows itself in women saying, I, I'm just going to take it and I'm going to stand idly by because that's what God's called me to do. That is not what God has called for you. That is not God's best design for you. But that is how it plays out in the passive nature. And maybe you find yourself there and, and that passive nature of sin because of what happened in the beginning is affecting your life. Um, women, you were created with the responsibility before God with the way you think, with what you believe, with how you act. Um, and that includes everything you do and how you even present yourself. So here's a little side note. Listen, um, women, as we are in the middle of our summer, I want you to know this <laughs> um, for the women here today or who are watching online. You have a responsibility before God with how you use and present your bodies. You have a responsibility this summer with even how you dress. Not to lead men into sin. Now, some, some would say, especially in the 21st century, right? This is the moment, right? In the 21st century, we're in Hillsborough, Oregon, right? It's like, um, first of all, if man is in, his mind is in the gutter, that's his problem, right? That's what we're taught. Uh, if, if his mind's in the gutter, that's his problem. Let me tell you, it is definitely man's problem that his mind is in the gutter. It is definitely man's problem that he has that sinful nature. And it is most definitely your problem. It is most definitely your problem. You cannot be passive in, in that way. Listen, do not be like Eve, standing passively by and allow your brother to sin. She didn't just sin. She stood passively by and allowed 
Adam to sin. Women, run away from that. Guard your brothers in the faith. It's not about what you can't do. It's about what you get to do. Guard your brothers in the faith in every single possible way that you can. No cowardly dismissal of your personal responsibility before God. But again, maybe you don't see yourself mostly in that passive nature of sin. Maybe it plays out in the aggressive side. And that is expressed through selfish defiance against authority or leadership. Selfish defiance against authority and leadership. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 on the screen. I'm going to show you two parallel verses. And this is going to help you even when you're doing your personal study. To, when, you, when you read a challenging verse, how to help yourself understand it. Here we go. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain. You try, okay? In childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth ch- children and your desire. Here's the key. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you. Okay, you got that? Now watch this. In Genesis chapter 4, watch this play out in verses 6 through 7. This is the story of Cain and Abel. Real quick, um, we can't do that right now, but um, Cain and Abel, children of Adam and Eve, um, sin has already entered the world, so now sin is a part of Adam, um, Cain and Abel. Cain ends up killing his brother out of jealousy. Okay, here we go. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well... Will you not be accepted? Okay. If you do not do well, hmm, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule. Do you see the parallel? The same exact words. Look, is it, why, why would it be bad to desire your husband? Like, but here's the thing. Is it good for sin? Is it good for you to desire, for sin to desire you? No. Sin wants to overpower you and work against you. That's the same picture that you're seeing in Genesis 3.16. When you see that what God is sharing with the desire, it's about this. Look, you're going to desire to overpower your husband. You're going to have a desire, if, you have, if that's your strong nature, the aggressive nature, to oppose his leadership, to be defiant against his leadership. You're going to desire to usurp his leadership and say, my way, not your way, my way. And this is the result of sin in you. This is how it uniquely expressed itself. And sadly, this picture is prevalent in so many marriages within our churches. Women not submitting to God's design um, as helper and husband, as lead. And so in that same way that the results of all this affected man, we're going to see how the results of all this affected woman. And so let's look at that now. The result of sin in woman was that she would experience pain in her role of childbearing. Now, I hope that this is going to be, this is going to be a little bit painful news, but hopefully this is encouraging news for women for some of the struggle that you may experience that you have honestly maybe cried about in the wee hours of the night saying, God, where are you, God? What's going on? In Genesis 3, this, um, this is the um, part of um, verse 16. Look at what it says. I will surely multiply your pain. I want you to, I'm doing as much as I can, color coding things so you don't miss it. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you're in pain, you shall bring forth children. Okay? So there's two pains. The result of, the, of your sin, the result of passive sin and aggressive sin is two pains. 
There's the pain in bringing them into the world, childbearing, right? We, we, we probably learned that for those of us who have been in church, like, oh, the pain. But did you pay attention that there's two pains? There's the pain of childbearing. But then what does it say after the semicolon? In pain, you shall bring forth children. In other words, there's a pain of child rearing. Childbearing and child rearing. Like there's going to be a pain in relinquishing control and eventually letting go of your children one day. How many of us see that play out with women who struggle to allow their kids to fly? This is, why am I struggling so much? Because, because the Bible said you would. Because God said that this was going to happen. This is critical for you to understand. As you struggle and you fight and thwart against your husband's leadership, your children will struggle against your leadership. Do you see how sin has categorically broken God's design? Wow. As you desire your husband's authority, as you desire your husband's position, as you desire your husband's leadership, therefore, your children will desire to usurp your leadership. Now, anybody who's a woman in here knows that this is true, right? It's like, oh my gosh, listen. And then the worst is when your husband comes in and they start acting like, yes, dad, like, right? This has been etched into the beginning of the creation story. It's written out for us. This is the direct assault. Now, this is the direct assault on the gender of woman. This is not good news, but <laughs> this is, right? And so here's the thing. I can almost picture Satan sitting there in the corner, like leaning up against like uh, another, maybe not the tree of, um, of knowledge or of good, but he's sitting up against another tree and he's just laughing. And he's like, yeah, they're never going to figure this thing out. You, they're I've, I, I won. I've, I've got it. Because look, you have aggressive men and everybody's saying you need to be more passive. You got passive women and everybody's saying you need to step up. And we're going back and forth from one distortion to the next distortion and our families are hurting. And this is super important. We're not even ready for the unity and family next week until we continue to look at this. But there is hope and there is good news. There is good news. And that's where we're going to turn our attention now to Genesis 3, 15. These are all the verses we read. They're all packed with so much. This is good news. And there's a beautiful promise of grace right in the middle of the worst, arguably, in my opinion, the worst chapter in the whole Bible. This is a terrible chapter, right? This is depressing, right? Sorry, I know Sunday is all beautiful outside. Your kids are playing games. You're like, gee, well, this is depressing. There is good news, a beautiful promise of grace in the worst chapter, and it's called the Proto-Evangelium. And in Greek, that's two words. Proto means first. Evangelium means gospel. Are you, are you kidding me? This is not the New Testament. This isn't Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. In the first book of the Bible, right in the creation story, the first gospel is being preached. I want you to see, I want you to see this in the first passage right there. And it's God explaining two things. One, the curse on mankind because of Adam's sin. But then here's the good news. God's provision for a savior that would come to deal with sin. This is God in that moment sharing that, uh, um, here it is. Um, oh, I thought I had it up here. That's unfortunate. <laughs> but it's God explaining exactly that he's going to send a son through woman. Woman, this is good news. With all that's happened, God, in his love, in his infinite wisdom, chose through woman that a Savior would come and that this promise would lead 
to the conquering of sin, to the conquering of death, and would lead to redemption. Hence, Redemption City Church. Our name means something because we believe in this first gospel. We believe in the gospel. We believe in the gospel that this can be restored. So, so if Christ has truly come to redeem us from all these things, then here, here, here's where I want you to land with me. Then he has not come to generically, generically redeem us. He's come to specifically and uniquely save us. Okay, keep tracking with me. That means that when you enter into the process of sanctification by faith in God, you're not just being healed generically. He's healing the unique wound of woman. He's healing the unique wound of man. That is love. Because here's the thing. We just saw... If sin has affected man uniquely, and it has, and if sin has affected woman uniquely, and it has, then doesn't that mean that the gospel affects us uniquely and differently? We have to start looking across the pews and judging each other. God, the gospel is one message, but it affects people differently. And we have to give room for God to be God so that he can do that. Okay. Let's try to pull all this together as we're tipping. I know we want to go straight to application. Okay, so how do I do this in my life? Can't do that. We, can't st- we cannot skip steps. Now, here's the thing. We're going to go through a quick summary of God's design for man and woman with everything that we've learned. And here's the thing. What we're going to look at is God's I- the ideal. Does that make sense? This is the ideal that's prescribed in the book of Genesis. No one has arrived. So don't feel bad. No one in this room, Pastor Brandon, none of us have arrived, but if we can't even shoot towards it, we can't pray for it, if we don't even understand clearly God's ideal. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's a summary of manhood and womanhood. We need God's mercy and grace to help us walk that out in our lives. Okay, man's primary responsibility is to lead. And this is for the good of women. Man's primary responsibility is to lead, and that's for the good of woman. This was true before sin. This is where it's really hard if you weren't here last week. This was true before sin and remains true today, even if it's distorted. Even if it's distorted. This leadership is good. This leadership is created to be good. Is Christ our leader? Is he a good leader? Christ is a good leader. Isn't he a good leader? Right? Leadership is a good thing. Our husbands have been, um, men have been created to do something good, even if it's been distorted, even if they're doing it sloppily, even if they're messing up, it was created to be good. God's design is for men to lead in a way that reflects Christ. Men, you need to know that, to be a good leader, a gentle, compassionate leader. Are you doing that? Man's primary responsibility is to lead for the glory of Christ. So just in case you're starting to do that, like, you know, you're starting to sit up in your chair, starting to lean over to your wife, (laughs) you hear what Pastor Brandon said. I'm supposed to lead, you know, make sure you remember that. For the glory of Christ, not for the exaltation of your own name. Get over yourself. This isn't about you. Man is not the ultimate leader. Christ is the ultimate leader. He is an under leader, under the head leader, Jesus. What does that mean? Men, everything you do is for the glory of Christ. So when you demean and belittle and dishonor your wife, you, you demean, you belittle, and you dishonor, dishonor the God of the universe. You do not make him happy. You're not making your wife happy. And you need to get it together. You need to get it together. 
man's primary responsibility is to lead for the protection of his family. For the protection of his family. This is all being prescribed in the creation account. For the protection of his family, for his wife and his family. Now, I don't know about you, but if I heard a story of a man, and he'd be a strange man, laying in the bed with his wife at 2 o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden you heard ruffling at the front door, like someone was breaking in, and that strange man rolled over and said to his wife, Did you hear that? She's like, "Uh Uh-huh. And he's like, You better go check that out. That would be a strange man. That is not God's design. He has called you, whether you are strong or not strong. Listen, I am as weak as it comes. If in that moment, I'm going to tell my wife, sit tight, and I'm going to do what I can do in this broken body to protect my wife. It is not about whether my wife is stronger physically. It is about a command given by God. Men, you have a, resp- you have a responsibility to protect your family in those ways. Men have a primary responsibility to lead through the provision in their home. I hope that this is a conversation that continues at home today. Provision in the home. A leader provides for his home, right? A man should feel a sense of accountability. It doesn't mean that you have the sole responsibility, but it means you lead in that. Now, this is very relevant, not just because of me, but this is really, really, really relevant in a lot of churches, but unfortunately it's not talked about, and there are many men who struggle, and they go to counseling about this. This is a fact. What if you have an injury? What if you have a disease? What does that mean for the woman? Man, we could have a whole series on this, but I want you to know something. As someone who today couldn't even get dressed, barely made the church on time because my wife was at a conference and I had to have my 70-year-old 70, 70 father come over who was working through his own illness to help me put on my shirt, I still feel the weight and the accountability of leading my home in provision. Every When I couldn't type, talk, or anything, I counseled my wife from my back. The moment I could sit up, I counseled her with my eyes. The moment I could use my voice, I took over the finances and the budgeting. You have a responsibility to fight with all that God has given you, to, to provide, to do all that you can, and then to rest in the grace and the mercy of God for what is beyond your control. Does that make sense? Now, women. Women's primary responsibility is to support, right? It's to support. And how does that support look? In the same way the son supports the father, right? So you support in the same way. We, now, for you to understand that, you would have to be here last week. We looked at how Christ supports the father, humbly, gladly supports, willing to do the father. Not my will, but your will be done, father. So it's in the way, so she mirrors Christ in that, all right? Um, Woman's primary responsibility is support with ultimate devotion to Christ's leadership, all right? To Christ's leadership. Now, let's go back to the support for a second. There's something that is important I want to share. Now, what if you have a, what if, what if you're, what if you have a, in a marriage where your wife is extremely gifted, super talented, maybe she's went further in school, maybe she's just Maybe she's just better than you, right? <laughs> uh, whatever, at, at many things. Does that mean that, it, what doesn't matter, I'm the man, I should just lead because that's, that's what God says. Listen, any good leader, any good leader always positions everyone around them for not only their success, but the collective success of the whole, whole unit, the whole family. Listen, 
I am the lead pastor of Preaching and Vision of Redemption City Church. I'm, the, I'm that guy. I'm the leader. Jack is the connections pastor, associate pastor of our church. If I don't understand that my responsibility is to lead in a way that equips him, affirms him, gives room for him to express his gifts, I rob our whole church of not only an immensely gifted and, and talented pastor, I rob myself of what God wants me to learn from him, and I ruin the whole thing. So whether I'm the leader of this in a technical way of this church or not, I use my leadership, I use my authority to then give it back in a way where we all can be a part of the team, where we don't have to meditate so often. Me and Jack don't meditate on every day like, oh yeah, you're the boss. We don't talk, we don't even talk about that. We talk about like way more important things like affecting the gospel in our community. So what does that mean? Men, if you have women who are gifted and maybe you both are, are um, in a marriage, but she's just talented at the finances, like don't be an idiot, right? If you know that you don't, are not good at money and she's really good at money, like you do have authority. You can flex it. How do you want to flex it? Flex it by saying, oh, affirming her and saying, hon, you know that I'm not good at money. You're good at that. And I believe that you should lead our family in that way. Being the leader and having authority is not about exercising it at every single turn. It's about being wise and generous and gentle and loving and kind. It's really, really important to understand that. Now, women's primary responsibility is to support also um, with, uh, excuse me, with affirmation, affirmation of her husband. With affirmation of her husband. This is important. Men need to be affirmed. No matter how tough they act, they need to be affirmed constantly, let me tell you. <laughs> they, we need to be reminded that we're good enough, that we're loved. That I know that it seems as backwards, like, no, I think that's what I need. Listen, we both need it, but don't underestimate the value of reminding your husband. You know, one of the things that I just celebrate so much um, with my wife is um, how she would just write notes, um, send me texts, write, make these like, she would make little like poster things and put them on the wall, the, the, the sweetest on Father's Day, and she would never understand the impact of what those gifts would mean to me. Um, somehow, because of sin, I constantly and utterly forget that she sees me those ways. And, I, and every time, it's refreshing to my life, right? And I can feel the times where I'm like, when I don't have it, I'm like, I wish I did. Affirming your husband is powerful. That's how you support. And then also in the nurturing of your home. You have a primary responsibility to support in the nurturing of the home. Nurturing of the home. Nurturing your husband, your children, if you have them, the environment. You have this beautiful gift of being able to set all things in order. And it is powerful. And let me tell you, as my wife was gone this weekend, I'm a pretty self-sufficient guy. Um, my kids are very, they are pretty obedient. Um, they listen really, really well. And, um, but uh, I can feel when my wife is gone. I can feel when she's gone. Something is not in order. It is not in order. It is not in order and it doesn't feel great. So it's a powerful thing to be able to nurture your home. Don't, don't, don't underestimate that gift. Now, we're going to lead and we're going to land here with some application for biblical manhood and womanhood. We're having a lot of teaching today, but this is super important for us as we're establishing our DNA of a church, right? So here is some practical application for men 
and then we're going to land the plane with some practical applications for women. I hope you take this home because I've given you a lot to, to work through. Okay, here we go. Men, here's what you can do. You can get in the game. Get in the game. Okay, men, initiate. Initiate a humble, hardworking type of leadership. If you're single here today, don't wait to, for the woman to ask you out. Start with that. Like, don't be that guy, right? Like, go pursue her. <laughs> go, that, women, they're single women, listen, they want to be pursued. They're, they're exhausted and they're tired of little boys. Get up and go pursue. I'm not gonna, this is how I preach. You need to know that before you become a covenant member. Like, so, yes, get up off your chair. Don't, like, be a man. Pursue, right? I'm gonna talk to you like a man, right? Because I'm honoring you in that way. Um, here, here's a really, really important quote from um, James Dobson, who is just a guru of family. He's um, from the uh, ministry, folks on the family. Here we go. A Christian man, it's powerful, is obligated to lead his family to the best of his ability. If his family has purchased too many items on the credit, then the financial crunch is ultimately his fault. If his family never reads the Bible or seldom goes to church on Sunday, God holds the man to blame. If the children are disrespectful and disobedient, the primary responsibility holds with the father, not the wife. In my view, James saying, America's greatest need is for husbands to begin guiding their families rather than pouring every physical and emotional resource into the acquisition of money and their jobs. Do you see this consistent theme? Whether it's the Bible, godly men, or folks of the family, Billy Graham, there is a sin nature of us wrongly pursuing our careers and it's hurting our families. It's important. Men, we cannot give up our role to provide spiritual stability for financial stability. I'm gonna say that again. You cannot give up your primary role to establish spiritual stability for financial stability. Men, um, initiate humble, hardworking um, leadership in spiritual devotion. Here's a question I have for you, and this is, this, is, this is not a question to the air, it's a question I want you to interact with. Is your wife flourishing in her relationship with Christ? Because it's your responsibility. Is she flourishing? Here's the definition of flourishing. Developing rapidly and successfully thriving. Are you seeing how God is? He's, God is good. Women, I don't understand. It's so hard to submit. Why would God do that? Like, why does man need to be in charge? Like, why do I don't understand that? If he's in charge and he's engaging with the God of the universe, he is in charge and he is humble on his knees begging for God's help. He's begging for grace and mercy because this is, let me tell you, this is hard. Every day I am falling short trying to figure, I don't feel strong. I feel utterly weak trying to figure out how do I lead this beautiful woman in a way where she can flourish. And half the time, I don't know where to start. That's the gentleness, like, man, God, I need your help. I want her to thrive. I want her to be all that you've prayed her to be. I want her to be blossoming from the inside out. It's a beautiful, beautiful and, and big weight. Here's a second question, man. Are your children flourishing in their relationship with Christ? Not in their behavior, not in their moralism, in their relationship with Christ. Every week, do you see more and more of the mark of Christ and their ability to understand who Christ is? Because you have a responsibility. 
Um, you have uh, initiate humble, hardworking leadership in your marital duties. Three powerful questions that you can ask your wife. Three, three powerful ones, okay? We all can do a better job of this. How can I love you better? You can't ask that question if you're consumed in your own world. How can I love you better? Do that tonight. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do it tonight. I'm going to do it tonight. How can I love you better? How can I support you better? And how can I affirm you better? You'll be amazed. You need to be ready, too, for their answer when, they, when you ask those three questions. All right? Ask those three questions today. You can initiate humble, hardworking leadership in parental discipline. I know we're going fast. It's a lot of information. In parental discipline. Take initiative. Provide loving and godly um, discipline for your children. Gentle discipline. Firm discipline. Initiate humble, hardworking leadership in essential decisions. Men, you're not going to do it perfectly, but make the, the most wise ones you can. Pray. Invite your wife to pray with you. But don't be passive. Don't be a coward. Lean in. Invite your wife. Pray to God. And make the call. Make the call. Initiate humble, hardworking leadership amidst inevitable disagreements. Listen, I don't care how much you try in your marriage, you will have inevitable disagreements. The key is not if, it's when. But here's the key. When you've done all that you can, men, fellas, listen to me for a second. I know we want to write things down. I know that we have a long sermon. This DNA series is really, really, it's a lot. But I don't want you to miss this. In these moments when you get into a little tiff with your wife and you cannot come to an agreement, you have been called by God to make a decision, to execute it, and to declare what's going to happen over your family, especially if it's a big decision. But listen to me. You need to do that with fearful trembling, making sure that you have done every single thing possible to hear the full counsel of your wife's heart in the words that she said, in her body language, and how she feels. You need to be on your hands and on your face before God. And when you come to your children and your wife on something that you are not able to win their affections for, and you say, this is where we're going, and you know that it's not a decision where she's 100% on board or your children are not, you do that with loving and gentle kindness. Ready at any point to say, I made the wrong call the moment God reveals that to you. Lastly, by the grace of God, men, lay down your life to honor women. Lay down your life to honor women. Listen, women aren't perfect. Women aren't perfect, and they're going to make mistakes. And at times, our marriage is frustrating. Wives can be frustrating. Husbands can be frustrating. I love this picture in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. These are the same verses we read. It's beautiful. Listen, the man called his wife Eve. He named her now. This is after sin, folks. You know what Eve means? Life. Because she was the mother of all living things. Remember, you have to be here for last week. This is a big, important role that Adam was given to give people a nature. After sin, after Eve did what she did, after Eve handed this fruit, after all this, after he's been rebuked by God, he now names, he uses his authority, and he gives her a nature, and he says, 
the man called her Eve, meaning life, because she would be the mother of all living things. Are you tracking with me? Adam had been given the authority to, and dominion to subdue the lands. And in the moment of Eve's brokenness, in the moment of her failure, instead of belittling her and beating her up more, he proclaimed her name to be Eve, which was life, and he shared his authority, his leadership, and said, you, your name is life, meaning the life and mother of all living. That is a beautiful picture of a repentant. We saw Adam's sin. Now a repentant picture of Adam leaning in. The first step of the redemption started. The proto-evangelum. The first evidence of man beginning to be reconciled. Men, when your wife falls short, you have two choices. Break her down more, build her up. We need to do a better job of proclaiming life into our wives. Amen? By the grace of God, lay her down in your life to train boys to be men. We got to raise men. Men. We got to raise men. It's important. Mm. Women, incline yourself towards wise submission. Do that. Incline yourselves to wise and willing submission. Not if he's abusing you. If he's abusing you, you let one of us know. That's, that's not acceptable under any, any circumstances. Please let someone know. That is not what God is prescribing. But in normal situations, wise and willing submission. Wise and willing submission. Wise and willing. Now, if you're single, or you're a widowed woman, or maybe you're married to um, um, a husband. He's saying that he's a believer, but he's, he has no fruit in his life. How do you submit in that way? How do you submit to a husband who's not even trying to have fruit in his life? I want to show you a great example of a married woman who did this really, really, really well in an interview. And I, got, I wrote down um, her words, and I think it's a powerful example as we get ready to land the plane. So there's this woman... <clears throat> who really loves her husband dearly. But here's the thing, he's not a Christian at all. And this woman, she also loves Christ and her church deeply. She fully recognizes her choice that she has been made, um, that she made in being unified to this man before God. Keep tracking with me. Therefore, trusting in God's good design, she is humble in every way that she talks to her husband. She does the hard work to respect him greatly from such a genuine place that she is known for her love of him amongst her church. But there came a point where the word commanded something of her that was in total contradiction with what her husband was asking of her. This is a powerful interview. I'll share it with you later. So she gently and humbly said to him, I so want to submit to you in every way. This is an intense moment. I so want to submit to you in every way and to honor you with my life and with my trust. I will continue to even after this conversation. But what you're specifically asking of me, I cannot do, nor can I stand by regarding our children either. I cannot disobey the word of Christ. So I won't be participating with you. And hun, she said this with a gentle, super soft, she was brokenhearted, she was teared up. She wasn't angry and defiant. I'm not gonna, she was brokenhearted about it because she so wants to follow her husband. Our children cannot either. And these words I'm sharing with you, hon, are not easy, and it breaks my heart. You know that I honor and respect you daily, despite our religious differences. 
more than most couples that do even in the church. I'm asking of this one thing that you please do not include me and the children in what you're getting ready to do. I prefer to not have to take this stand, but if I must, then I will. This woman perfectly embodied 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1. And it says, likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, not your Christian husbands, your husband. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word. Do you know how good, you know, one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor is when we say, I just want, I wish God had something to say about, God has something to say about almost everything. And if he doesn't, it's implied. Here we go. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, you ready? They may be one. You want to win your husband over? Listen to this. So that they may be one without a word, not your mouth. Not winning them here. Not winning them by getting mad. They may be one without word by the conduct of their wives. And we saw that beautiful picture. In your conduct, God is saying you have the greatest hope to win him to Christ. Pray for him. You can do this with ultimate devotion to Christ's leadership, right? That's your next point, right? Incline yourselves um, towards this by, with ultimate devotion to Christ's leadership. Wow. And you can do that through God in constant prayer as well. You got to be in prayer. There are times in the first years of my marriage, I shared that last, um, last week, that it was the prayers of my wife that was sending our family to the next season. The prayers of a praying woman are powerful. And then um, <clears throat> finally, towards men in certain positions. Towards men in certain positions, right? You are modeling this to your children. Your children are catching 90% of what you do and 10% of what you say. They're watching how you interact with your husband. They're watching how you interact with pastors. This, we're going to be talking in a couple weeks about elders, positions at church. All this is important. So this is where I want to end here today. And I want to just thank everyone for leaning in on a, on a pretty weighty, long, two-part thing on biblical manhood and womanhood. There's just no other way for us to move on without really looking at this. I want to end with asking for your prayers. Um, this type of a topic... I knew the moment that I told Pastor Jack that I was leaning into it, we talked about this, I put a target on my back. Um, and the moment that you engage in this type of truth, the enemy tries to, tries to run ravic in your home. In my body, I'm a very, very weak, and I'm in a lot of pain um, this week, and I'm asking for your prayers. I'm asking for your prayers because when you talk about topics like this, um, it, it puts a type of target on your back where now all of a sudden families start to look at our family. And I don't mind the weight, but it's not very comfortable for my wife to walk in that, you know, being examined by a whole church. This is how we're going to talk. We're going to be an open family. My children are growing disciples. They are nine and eight. And I'm doing, and my wife is doing all that we can to raise our children. And this is what hurts pastor's kids all the time. Because pastors get on the stage. They try to be faithful. They say big things like today. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, what are you doing with your kids? Or maybe Aiden has a moment across the street and he's maybe not being the most respectful. Like, I need your prayers as I continue to leave this church to guard my family. Because Satan is going to try to destroy them as I preach truth and proclaim things for redemption. So women, I'm specifically asking, because I believe in your power, 
as prayer warriors, that you would pray for my family, you would pray for me as a leader. And men, I'm asking that you pray for each other and me, that we would lead well. Amen? Let's pray. Creator of all things, we are so thankful that we got to spend this hour and 10 minutes in your word. Lord, um, thank you for allowing us to come together in a free land where we can talk about you freely with no persecution. Thank you for every um, man and woman that are represented today, Lord. I have exhausted all that is in me to preach faithfully what I believe your word is saying. Lord, we want to submit to your word. We want to do it joyfully, but it's hard. Lord, some of us struggle more on the passivity side of, of our sin nature. And so if we have men that are struggling, Lord, to step up, Lord, I ask that you would give them a holy type of courageousness, Lord. And Lord, if you're struggling, if we have men that are struggling with their aggressive nature, that you would break their hearts and humble them before you. And I pray for our precious, beautiful women that are here today. I pray, Lord, that those who struggle with the passivity sin, Lord, that you would rise them up and that they would know they have value, infinite, supreme value in your eyes and hopefully in our eyes, God. And Lord, for women who are struggling with their aggressive side of nature, we get where that comes from. It comes from years and years of oppression, manipulation, abuse of even the Bible. I pray, Lord, for a twofold healing, one that first allows them to believe that there's a new story, a redeemed story where they can joyfully be who you've called them to be with men who are going to celebrate them rightly. But Lord, we must all do our part first. Help us to do our part first. We want lives that are redeemed. We want our relationships healed and our marriages healed and our families healed and our cities healed, Lord. And it happens one soul at a time one marriage at a time. And finally, Lord, as we prepare next week for what it means to have unity in our families, that means husbands and wives interacting well with their children. I pray that you would cause us to prioritize our time so that we can continue this series in a faithful way where we have fruit. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.